welcome to the Whispers of the Soul podcast, hosted by Sally Ann Marla and Sibby Spencer. Every week we dive into spiritually rich topics to create conscious conversations to help you, the listener, deepen into your own soul wisdom and practice. The space we create through our discussions invites you into your own inner world whilst we explore ours and our guest speakers. We come together to share stories, creativity, wisdom, insights and laughter. If you feel it's time to become more curious about your own uniquely creative, expressive self that makes you, well, you, then you are in good company. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven. I am Sally. And I'm Sibby. And this week, we are talking about the regeneration of belonging, um, the nurturing of the ecological self. And we have an amazing special guest with Thank us you. today, which is Ben Stopford. Um, and he's going to be talking to us about this topic. And um, yeah, I've been researching Ben's website and all the information on there is phenomenal. So we'll make sure we pop that in the link. Um, but yeah, welcome, Ben. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So for people that are listening um, and, you know, wanting to understand more about what you do, even though I know there's that's a jam-packed loaded question, <laughs> could you kind of summarise a little bit about the work that you do now? Sure. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a bit complicated because it's at the minute it's quite a broad space. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I kind of have this this mission, I suppose, which is just generally around getting people more connected to nature in different ways. Um, and I suppose in in trying to understand what that means, um, nature has become quite a complex topic, and that's where the kind of the self in nature comes in. And so, yeah, I work with, with permaculture. I do some permaculture design work. We can go into what that means. Um, no one knows what that means. I don't know really what that means. <laughs> really a word to pin down, but we'll go into it. Um, and then, yeah, this kind of topic of deep ecology came up, which is a philosophy. So my undergraduate was in philosophy and kind of interested in the philosophy of nature. Mm. Um, and then I work as a gardener and have kind of tapped into this ecological or regenerative gardening, which is effectively asking this question of how do we treat our gardens as a, as a wildlife space, um, which is relatively easy. We can allow them to go wild or we can introduce much more diversity to them. But the, the really interesting question is how do we include ourselves in that diversity? So how do we build a space that can maybe provide some food while providing diversity, while building soil, and also maybe a place that we feel at home? And so that becomes a really important question. I don't, I don't like the idea of exclusion of humans from nature this is the debate at the minute of whether we whether we kind of gift a certain space of the earth over to nature and humans kind of remain in these high-tech cities or whether we create them too and so for me i'm very much of the kind of integration school um and the garden's a great place to ask that question you know, you know i don't want to see astroturf anywhere um but i also want to see people enjoying their gardens and not feeling overwhelmed by them um, so yeah in a way that's the kind of 
the crux of the work and then yeah my, my website has lots of writing on it just exploring ideas and concepts and um just yeah words and <laughs> good ones though <laughs> yeah so then, but yeah i often have funny discussions with my brother because he doesn't really like kind of jargon and, and and conceptual words and i love them i think they're great they're really i think important um and yeah getting over that kind of initial i don't know what that means is really exciting for me because it's it's an opportunity to explore a new form of meaning and yeah once once you start doing that your whole worldview can shift quite quite fundamentally and so that's a real area of interest for me is how do we how do we change the way we view the world so we can be in it in a way that is more sustainable basically it's, it comes back to sustainability so my mm. obsession dealing with climate change um and that's a, a huge topic and this is my approach i suppose is figuring out how do we as as humans be in the world in a way that is with the world and encourages its abundance as well as our own flourishing I love the idea of the building um of the building those connections through your garden because I think we 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 sort of don't have that necessarily do we about we don't have we you know we might have a vision for our garden but you don't necessarily when you're planting or changing your garden think about how how you're connecting with it I love the idea of having some have it growing food in it to 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 you know um supply yourself with food from your garden but also to to be a place where you can sit in peace and and connect with nature as well um but yeah I think and I think the nature connection like you were saying like now it's a really um it's really hot topic because people started to discover or rediscover didn't they their connection with the outdoors like through lockdown they seem to they seem to it was almost like people had forgotten the the nourishment that you can get from spending time in nature and uh, they started to sort of reconnect with that I think didn't they yeah so it seems like you know really a really important thing that you're that you're saying about um using your using your own outdoor space to mm. to build that connection it's a good starting point definitely yeah I think just just building into your days any way of connecting to something that we would consider is beyond the self mm. something that's natural you know something that's out in nature um, and that can be through cooking through food and through connection to where your food comes from and that's one of the kind of areas of exploration in the course that I run is where, where do we get our food from and how do we have connection not just to the food and how it's produced but to the person who grows it and then for what it does to our bodies and how it can nourish us you know the, the, there's some amazing research at the minute into um into the nutrient values of, of foods that are grown in different ways. Um, and someone's trying to build a tool that you can actually have with you in the supermarket or the shop, wherever you do your shopping. And you could actually, you know, live analyze the food for its nutrient content. And they found a difference with, I think it was in vitamin A or K in carrots, I think, where they found out it took 30 carrots from one shop to have the equivalent vitamin from mm -hmm. one that was grown in a much more ecological way. And so there's, they're really big questions, you know, they're big questions for the land and how we how we inhabit in a more sustainable way this this world, but also for the body and how we how we nourish that properly. You know, how do we how do we feed it so it's energetic and yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, and there's this there's this separation, I think, that you know, if you, you go to the supermarket, people are just thinking, 
I'm just going to grab this and grab this. And there's not really a, that mindful connection, particularly as to where the food's coming from or the process it's gone through to then be on that shelf. Mm. And um, I know a friend of mine has, has researched the mineral uh, content in soil. And we know that that's dropped and that's causing a, a problem in terms of how many nutrients are still in the vegetables and things that are grown. And then pesticides is another mm. side to that or argument to that. And I know it's something I've been you know felt more aware of and wary about and not I mean not all pesticides I guess but just the the use of and and trying to understand that connection that that process that that actual item has gone through before you then consume it yeah yeah it's a huge process you know we've, we've turned it into such an industrial process and we've disconnected ourselves from that process so massively and it's you know it I always try to be very cautious not to not to blame any particular individual and certainly mm. not individuals as a whole because it's it's this it's the system that we live in it's it's developed in a certain way um but it 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 serves the the economic design that we've created and it doesn't really serve the people and i think that's a huge yeah another huge area but but it's it, for me it's clear you know the the average person on earth is not flourishing you know, they're not living uh, in a self-actualized way they're not yeah. opportunities to really to really live well and so there is a there is a question of how do we start to build a system that that works for people um and yeah that that for me feels like uh, an overwhelming question and so one one thing i sort of tend to recommend or certainly try and catch myself is um is this idea of bioregionalism which is a lovely a lovely concept that um, I've been exploring recently, which is basically reducing your focus down to a, a geographical region called a bioregion. Um, and so, one thing you can do, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed by climate change or by how to how to deal with some of these difficulties, even political issues or economic issues, you can stick a stick a pin on a map where you live and just draw a circle of maybe ten miles, a radius around where you live, mm. and focus area and start to be like what's going on here where can i help here what what forest is under threat or what piece of land is under threat that i can protect or what great farming projects are happening that i can support um and so start to ask questions like that that feel really tangible and that you can start to interact with and so there's that in invitation to really interact with these things and this this is the development of the ecological self that we've referred to in the, in the title mm. the ecological self is that self to start to expand what it includes in its in its kind of sphere of importance, mm. uh, and so it's it's common for someone who has developed a really strong ecological self to to not even really see the distinction of themselves and their landscape or their food, but to see it as as genuinely a part of them. And mm. so the idea comes up a lot of that. There's a guy called John Seed who's worth looking into, uh, who's a rainforest activist. And, he had this lovely quote, which is, it's, it's not me, John Seed, protecting the rainforest. I am the part of the rainforest recently emerged into consciousness, protecting itself. I love it's that. Very powerful. Way of seeing the world. And, and, you know, and that's, that's a cultural learning. That's not something that um, we, we haven't lost that. You know? it, it's just a matter of starting to shift how we go about our days and our time and how we educate. Let's teach people what, what is nature, what does it mean to be in the world, what is the self. There's a wonderful book, Ben, called The Overstory um, 
Have you read it? If you haven't, I'd highly recommend. Um, I'm not finished, but I think I'm about halfway through the audiobook. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I love in that the, the idea of um, we, we human beings, let's say, um, approach a tree um, and, and think what we can get from the tree. And, and this is this I can't quote it directly because I can't remember the exact line, but it's something like what we should be doing is listening to the tree and allowing the tree to communicate with mm. us what what the the, uh, the relationship between us rather than going and what can I get from this tree you know I can get timber I yeah. can get you know all of the things that we use the tree for and instead it should be like a two-way sort of communication I yeah. love I mean I love that book <laughs> as well that changed my whole outlook really on on trees <laughs> just yeah yeah so one of the one of the words that comes up in deep ecology is the, that, that intrinsic value so the idea that all life forms, and that includes rocks and bodies of water and things like that, they all have an intrinsic value that is set to their to their value to humans. Um, yeah. So they have their own value. And so how do we develop a respect for that? And that immediately changes the way that we we see these things because we can we can start to think of them as as beings in themselves, and of having the right to live basically, or the right to flourish. I love this. Um, it was the guy who I did my permaculture course with, with Jacob Evans, who runs a permaculture project in Spain now. And um, when we were talking about how to kind of create flourishing within a permaculture system, which is effectively just a design of land management, um, he always referred to the kind of the, the suchness of each part of the system. And so he would say, you know, how, how do we decide how to integrate a chicken? Well, we, we find a way to allow it to express its chickenness. And what <laughs> It means to be able to scratch through leaves and to move around and to roost in a tree. Okay, so we create a system that allows it to express itself like that. And I feel like that everything, like even you know, even a cup, like a cup should not just be sitting on a shelf. It should be allowed to express its cupness, which is to to hold liquid. And so you can you can carry it over to everything, but and and start to give um, the word is start to uh, animate mm. instead of kind of objectify i love that because i'm i'm trying to declutter my house <laughs> so i might just like look at the things in my house and like what does this want to express and if it's not expressing itself in my house perhaps it needs to express itself in a better exactly. setting <laughs> no, yeah. yeah i mean there's um there's a lot to be said for these there's, there's these big movements happening i can't remember the name of the one but you know declutter the kind of the minimalism movement mm. um or movement and these for me they're all signs that that there's this desire and there is this innate recognition of belonging that's already there in us and how we can go about it it can become faddy and it can get taken over by this kind of greenwashed consumerism which veganism you know is a great risk of at the minute but but fundamentally it comes from this this really deep inner knowing of just like something's not right here the way that we're making this food is not right and it's so clear with animal agriculture that it's created this kind of real awakening of like actually i don't want to participate in that even if i don't know what to participate in because it's not necessarily made that clear you know the system's incredibly complex and and this idea of greenwashing you know stick a, stick a eco looking label on something and you know it, okay great people are probably doing better when they go for those things mm. um, but it has to go deeper you know and that that comes from the, the corporation side of things and the 
the system side of things. You know, the, I, I do really feel that that there's a movement of people trying to to do what they can, but it's extremely difficult in the context we're in. It is because it's very much everything that's been made easy and accessible is actually the stuff that's then separating us from being more conscious about what we're consuming if we're talking about just the food side. But I think I do, I agree. I think there are people, certainly people I know in my community that are starting to question or sort of have more of a, a conscious awareness around just the basic stuff. And it, it can start in the home and having more of a conscious awareness around space and what that feels like and their relationship with that space. But um, also the, um, you know, the, the experience of, of having food and and cooking food and there are people that don't like to cook food and so then that kind of lends us down towards that processed path but more and more people I think are now starting to question the status quo and they're they're wanting to um, learn more about local farmer markets or what like you said I love that 10 mile radius thing that you talked Mm. about trying to research local produce and local suppliers more that seems to be it's slow but it seems to be picking up a little bit more from my experience just living here it's like people people are actively wanting to engage more and my daughter's um friends with somebody that owns a farm nearby and her she they're steadily getting busier and busier because more people are engaging if even if it's just a call on them to get their eggs um and yeah, things like that. So there's a there is a rise in in this, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the, the one of the great distinctions in deep ecology is the idea of us currently living in a, a state of constant progress towards a higher standard of living. Like we hear that word spouted around a lot, mm. um, and really what that means is a kind of you get a bit stuck in the idea of efficiency and basically like easiness. Like how easy can we create? existence and we forget to ask questions about quality of life we forget to ask like what does it mean what do we really need to have really high quality of life and actually they're they're in a bit of a battle those two things because often the standards of living thing is what leads to people having to work a lot more commute a lot more and do a lot of things that maybe cause a lot of stress or cause them not to be connected to their food or be stuck in traffic you know all of these things that are working toward this i this kind of it's just a concept standards of living it's just like a it's just an idea and um, we do get a bit stuck in thinking that this path we're on this path to progress is, is just what it is you know it's just it's just the way things are and we just have to keep working harder to to improve the lot of everyone and you know the trickle down effect all of these kind of words that you just hear spouted about that don't really mean anything and so yeah i really encourage people to sit down and ask these questions of like what 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 would a really high quality of life look like for me um because they're beautiful questions and it doesn't have to be part of a plan of how to get there necessarily initially. It's just a, this kind of holistic idea of like, what does a really high quality life look like for me? And it might have some of the kind of elements of standards of living, but it probably also perhaps much more deeply into these intrinsic values that you hold of, you know, spending time with loved ones or, or rest and recuperation. And often time in nature comes up for people. Mm. Uh, even, even if they don't currently spend much time in nature, it's like maybe I'd like to spend a bit more time walking. I think they do because, you know, they, when the kids go out, they do trips in nature 
they should yeah. be doing more with kids in nature I think but Definitely. you know when they go out to these forest schools for example or they do different like um the course I did at university we were making mandalas with leaves and seeds and acorns and any twigs and anything we could find and it just you j- immediately you sense shifts in people something just mm. shifts it's almost like oh there I am <laughs> You know, because it just creates that space for you to kind of reconnect in a, a way that doesn't feel like you're forcing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those those opportunities are so great because they they have this chance of moving away from the idea that oh, environmentalism or um, living more ecologically is all about sacrificing. It's all about giving up all of the things that I like. But actually, when you provide opportunities like that of, of yeah, building a leaf mandala or or going foraging or you know all of this there's loads of beautiful opportunities coming out for people to to be more ecological to be more connected to the natural world and to themselves that have nothing to do with sacrifice they're, they're beautiful and they create a, a much stronger sense of self and nourishment and so i think it's really important to frame it in that way um so I've, yeah i have tried to move away a little bit from sort of i suppose it's this um like moralistic I suppose the kind of idea of making people feel bad because they're not being moral um, yes. I think it's because then it does end up being like you're not going to win a battle especially in the economic system we're in of telling people that they need to buy less and consume less and not drive so much it's like oh wow that's going to make people's lives really hard but instead you know we can ask these questions of what can you add into your life that would make your life more beautiful make you feel more connected to yourself or your, your friends or your community or your land um, in addition to you know how you already live and I think then what comes next naturally is that decrease in consumerism and stuff because you feel more fulfilled you're more nourished by these really natural things that we've kind of let slip a little bit I think it's it, it it's you can get quite overwhelmed can't you because like you say we are part of a system and you don't necessarily want to opt out of everything in that system, do you? You know, you, but I, I feel, and I know Sally does, that we're in a real period of like ascension for humanity, that, that, that there's a lot of change that's, that's in progress now and it's going to keep building and this movement, but you know, the, these kind of movements of people away from, consumerism and you know materialism and stuff is is gonna Mm. is gonna carry on and it's kind of like realizing that we've got that power isn't it to Mm. to change I I also love the idea of the the sort of circle around you because I think I I know you probably do we all feel that overwhelmed about the global you know situation and for example with with food and um you know the the distribution you know the um what am I trying to say the um well the unfair distribution I suppose of the resources of the world you know um and the fact that there are people starving and you know there's enough food to feed the world you know there's there's all that but like if we can just focus on this on our area Mm. and if enough people do that then that's going to have an impact isn't it and hopefully change you know change things yeah and it, it turns it from being this kind of this moralistic act to it being this beautiful act mm. and yet if you're if you're working to improve the lot your bioregion or to to rescue nature or to create more abundant nature in your bioregion you you are so much more connected to it than if you pay to regenerate a 
forest somewhere far away that you've never been to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's it's imme- it's immeasurable the difference. You know, it's not. I mean, literally immeasurable. It's it's something that we can't quite pin down. Like, what are the benefits of that? Because they are about this this change in consciousness, change in how we see the world, and from there, I, I sense that things would start to fall into place. Because when you when you do feel that connection to, you know, even if it's just a tree, a tree that's going to be cut down, and you have been part of rescuing that tree for the rest of your life. If you live near that tree, you're going to have a connection to it. You know, yeah. and that's the relationship that you can build on and it starts to feel a little bit kooky when we get into some of these words but but it's experiential so it's really hard to talk about um but yeah the kind of embodiment and the acting on these ideas is where i really do think that everyone would feel feel the benefit because it's natural it's supposed to be there and so yeah like i was reminded a minute ago of um the work of joanna macy we've come across joanna macy mm-hmm. and the work that reconnects um and she yeah, she speaks two things I was going to mention. One is the three stories she speaks to. And um, yeah, there's this idea that we kind of inhabit a narrative, but there's multiple narratives happening at the same time. Um, So there's the business as usual narrative, which is effectively the kind of story of progress that is the dominant one. That's the kind of main narrative that we inhabit. And unless you maybe choose to move out of that a little bit, which lots of people are doing, all of the movements we've been talking about, um, you might be stuck in that story, but you can also start to more fully inhabit these other stories that are happening. And she calls them the great turning and um, great unraveling. And so the great unraveling is like um, the halting of the worst parts of business as usual. So it's it's the kind of protest movements and things like that, um, or or veganism. You know, things along those lines is like I refuse to participate in the worst impacts of business as usual. So that's the great traveling and then there's the um the great turning which is the participating in in wholly new ways of being the things like meditation movement and permaculture fall into this it's like we could actually we could do things in a really different way um and as soon as you acknowledge that that's possible you can start to participate but you know people commonly will then say oh how do we how do we change the whole economic system and start to pick flaws in it it's like we don't necessarily need to design that i'm sure there's plenty of very clever people who are able to design the whole systems but actually if we just start to you know with the with the food system is a really good example change it one farm at a time and and i think that's happening you know we all now live quite close to a farm that has decided to farm in a way that's that's um building soil and nourishing the land and growing good healthy food for people Mm -hmm. Uh, as well as lots of supermarkets and things like that but the, the movement's really happening and sorry, the one other thing about Joanna Macy is this idea of active hope, which um, a, a guy called Chris Johnston, um, I think, works with Joanna Macy, and he wrote a book called Active Hope. And it's a lovely idea. It's very empowering, which is why this idea of bioregionalism is so powerful to me, is because it, it does empower people to really act immediately where they are. And so the, the kind of that looming hopelessness that you get when you read the news or where you try and figure out, oh, what can we do about climate crisis? You know, it's huge and it's so embedded. And so hopelessness is a very common feeling at the minute. And, and, and with hopelessness comes giving up because there is no hope. But hope, on the other hand, is is this kind of, yeah, it's just hopeful. It's just like, oh, maybe things will get better. <laughs> you know, maybe this will happen or that will happen. And so Chris Johnson points out this idea of active hope, which is like, Think of all the things you hope for, and that might be the kind of things that come up when you're thinking about quality of life versus standards of living. 
you know, maybe write a big list of what, what are the things I hope for and go through that list and be like, what can I, what can I make happen right now? What can I actually participate in? You know, maybe, maybe I hope that everyone around me will buy food from a great local farm. Okay, you can now turn that into an active hope by going out and buying food from a great farm. And straight away, like, you thought you were just hoping for that future and suddenly it lands right in front of you. And it's like, no, I'm living in that future immediately. Maybe not everyone is, but but I am. And so there's, there's a really beautiful hopefulness built into that way of living. Um, I which, love that. Yeah, it's, it's very useful. Yeah, because yeah. like you say, I think some people they they get a bit. I think fear is is a, a huge driving factor here, and if it, it prevents you from then actually doing anything or taking action. But even when you were talking before as well about um, you know your choices, even if you're consciously choosing more instead of kind of just choosing automatically or habitually, then you can you can stop supporting something that perhaps ethically or morally you don't agree with. You didn't, perhaps you didn't realise you didn't agree with it until you researched it, but then you you can then consciously choose to stop buying something or stop feeding into something, whether that's, you know, buying newspapers or watching the news or whatever it is that's causing you an imbalance in some way or fueling fear. So there is a power of choice that I don't think we've all tapped into yet. But this this active hope that you're talking about, I think, um, like you say, it, it enables somebody to take an action based on a on a hope, and that is empowering, and that's what we really need. Because I think, I mean, I don't know what you think, Ben, but I can see murmurs of trouble in terms of um, food distribution and the logistics of that, and where we're headed this year, um, which hopefully <laughs> will result in more people wanting to grow in their gardens. Last year I tried to make a start and I grew my own tomatoes and cucumbers. Now I only managed one cucumber, but the tomatoes <laughs> were on fire. <laughs> like, yes. And but it was that little, I think you captured it really beautifully when you were talking, but it was that little thing of I'm eating my own tomatoes. You can't, you can't bottle that. I mean it was only small, but it was such a small win for me. There's something pleasurable, though, isn't there? There's something really pleasurable in eating mm. something that you've grown. Well, it's it's given me motivation to do more this year, and that's that's what we want, isn't it? That gradual steps of oh, I can do this. Yeah, and I don't think we should cast aside small acts either, because it, in a way, that just feeds into this the current model of everything has to be massive for it to be beneficial, and yeah. as soon as you do that things get twisted because it gets it gets too complicated and we see it all the time in business you know a business starts out with these good intentions but or maybe they need to open another one and another one so they can survive and in doing that the costs it becomes more important to be cutting costs and things like that and suddenly the kind of whole moral effort at the beginning gets lost very quickly yeah and so there's this yeah there is a problem in the desire for things to always be growing in scale um and so that brings it back down to like no actually just growing your own tomatoes fantastic that yeah. is a that's seriously um ecological act you know? yes. and it's in so many ways you know even because it's not just about that opportunity to eat it and taste that difference of, of um the, the quality but also your part in that tomato you know your participation or your relationship with it mm. that went into existence and come about 
But, you know, you had your hands in the soil, you spent time watering it, you spent time with it. And so there's all of these kind of benefits that happen prior to the eating of the tomato, not to mention the kind of um, nutrients and the nutritional value of it. I was talking to them as well at one point. (laughs) You're not getting enough sun and I was moving my little things. Well, yeah, that's a bit like that experiment you we talked about, wasn't it? With the um, there was one with plants, wasn't there, and one with rice, oh, but yes. very similar. Where yeah. they um talked, um, well, the rice one I remember more clearly, but that they had pots of rice, and they had one that um people spoke to in a positive way, and one that people spoke to in a negative way, and then I think the other one was they ignored it. Yeah, and um the one that got the positive um feedback attention um flourished this well didn't didn't it, it should have decayed or something but it stayed mm. is that right it stayed um yeah and the negative one went healthy all... looking and the negative one went all moldy and then the it's just like you know it's again it's that connection that we have but it's the the vi- the vibration isn't it? it's the energy connect the energetic connection between all living things that we actually all share and are a part yeah. of and not separate from. And it, when you start to understand it in that way, and then obviously you bring that consciousness connection in, it's like a game changer, really. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like you said, didn't you, on that podcast, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. And we were saying how rubbish that was. Because actually <laughs> they do. Because <laughs> it's all energy, isn't it? Words and and, you know, like talking to plants is such a... I think it's just awesome that yeah I quite enjoy talking to my tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, there's so many layers to it as well like um there's a guy called Bill Blockin who's a psychotherapist based in the in the states and he's kind of a nature-based therapist and he, he does take people out to to basically work with nature as a mirror and so even just like yeah next time you go on a walk um imagine you're going to interact with something that you come across you don't even have to do it if it feels too out there but imagine that you're going to do that and just notice what thing you feel that you would like to speak to you know because there's probably something very profound in that is it is it the biggest tree that you see or is it the smallest flower um and just noticing kind of what what is it that's drawing you in there might be something in that there might be something hidden in there about yeah. what it is to interact with you know do you need that strength of a, of a giant tree or do you need that sensitivity of a small flower or do you need the energy of a rushing stream and these kinds of questions um so i think to walk with walk while holding questions can be very um Mm. empowering as well just just interacting with nature in these slightly different ways yeah that's i feel like you just stepped into my world there yeah oh yeah yeah i do i work with metaphor and archetypes a lot um, to help people get feedback on what's actually going on in the inner landscape. So, yeah, that was like, oh, yes, that <laughs> totally resonates with me. Um, can I just ask, Ben, if somebody um, was to get in touch with you and they wanted to work with you or, or what sort of work have you already done with people? I'm just if people are listening to this, I'm just um, I think that they would be curious to know kind of practically what that would look like. Yeah, so at the minute I offer permaculture design work, um, which might be if someone has a piece of land or a garden that they want to do something with that's um, that's very ecological. Um, we can work to kind of design a piece of land that might be about food growing, might be around um, biodiversity, mm. those things like that. 
Um, so that's one part of it. And then I'm offering foraging courses this year as well. And so they're going to be kind of, I would say, next level foraging, not in terms of complexity, but in terms of like how, how, do we, um, how do we move through the environment and how do we interact with it? Um, and what are the benefits beyond the obvious? Mm. Uh, and eating quality food. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be valuable for a lot of people, I think. And, and you're doing a course as well, aren't you? Ben. Yeah. Tell so, people about that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, at the minute it's an online platform, um, and it is all about the development of the ecological self. So it starts off with a series of, of essays introducing some of these kind of themes, concepts that we've chatted about, um, and lots and lots of offerings of kind of how to lean into them a bit further. Mm-hmm. And then the second course um, is basically just framed as a series of questions, and those questions again are invitations just to lean into your bioregion. So one of the first things on the course that you can do is, is that pin exercise. Drop, drop the pin on the map, draw a circle around what will become your bioregion. And so the actual size is not defined. The size will be defined by where it is that you live, um, by natural forms in your area and things like that. Um, and then it's um, yeah a series of questions about getting to know that area in a way that you might never have thought about before. So you'll, you'll come out the other side kind of, yeah, certainly knowing all the names of the rivers that run near you, and where their sources are and where they enter the sea. But also, yeah, knowing a lot about ecological farms that are nearby or environmental projects that are happening. Um, so, it's, But it's just framed as a series of questions. And so at the minute, I'm turning that into a book. So this is, um, yeah, currently being written. I don't have any publisher or anything like that. It's just in the early stages. But I'm hoping to kind of, yeah, put a book together, which will be a series of essays on some of these topics, but also, yeah, how do go about the development of, a, of an expanded sense of self. Mm. Uh, so yeah, just very briefly, that, that sense of self I keep talking about, that kind of ecological self, it's, it just is a question of like, well, what is the self? Where do I begin and end? You know, um, is, is Ben just this, what looks like a man sitting here that ends at my skin and my silly beard? Or is there something more to it than that? Uh, is the oxygen that I breathe a part of me as well? Because without it, I certainly wouldn't be here. And so what does that mean? Where does that come from? That comes from the, the photosynthesis of the plants and the trees. So does that mean they're part of me too? And it's this, it's this constant expanding of, of that question of where does the self end and begin? And the, the exercises and the questions are tools to try and develop that sense of self. So you kind of expand out and start to include all of the rest. And we get back to that John Seed um, quote of, it almost being indistinguishable in not it not making any sense that I wouldn't try and defend that river from pollution because that river is part of me. And so yeah, it sounds it sounds huge, but in a way it's quite it's quite small because we immediately start to to realise that we are not just this kind of skin encapsulated ego. We are we are fully connected to 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 nature. We are part of it. We are totally integrated with it. Um in the most literal way, you know, it's it, even for kind of anyone who doesn't want to participate in anything that's not proven by science it's like pff, how that is not something that will ever be disproven because it's uh, it's just an absolute truth you know we are, we're part of the system um and so it's yeah about expanding that sense of self and one of the reasons i love it is it, it moves away from that again the environmental movement being this sacrificial um kind of difficult back to the land way of living and about it being like oh no we could actually inhabit the world in a much bigger way and so 
we spoke briefly before we started recording about the uh, the small self and the big self. And so this is a movement away from the small self, which is effectively the ego, um, into this like this bigger self um, that is fully connected to the natural world and to their community and their people. Um, and because of that, has like a, a deeper sense of belonging. Really feels that they belong where they are, um, which I think can massively help overcome lots of the problems that we're seeing at the minute around mental health and those kinds of difficulties. They're largely to do with not not feeling belonging, um, and that's to do with degraded communities and food systems and things as well. Um, it's beautiful because it's 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 a oneness, isn't it? Really, that we're that you're trying we're trying to capture the, and remember that oneness aren't we with with everything around us and if we're the physical a physical manifestation in a physical you know in a, in a physical world that actually can support us you know and we can support it and we can I, I absolutely yeah I, I absolutely love that Ben I'm, I'm really excited to Mm. to hear more about that and read your read your book when it comes yeah. out yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i find it exciting because it's it's very empowering you know all of this work that i'm talking about is very empowering it's not about making people feel that they're not doing enough it's exactly the opposite it's about finding the things not just that are good for you in the world but will actually will improve your life you know that they'll make you feel feel better about who you are and about how things are you know yourself better um and so there's yeah we tend to have this sense that there's a real limitation about how how beautiful life can be um that it's just you know it's about getting things done and cracking on with it and that kind of thing but for me there's this possibility that we can shift our way of seeing the world so actually life becomes profoundly more beautiful than we're told it can be and so this it's a great opportunity it's a great opportunity to lean into a whole another way of being in the world that doesn't have to start off being too um, esoteric, too out there. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone starts at a certain point, and they'll they'll find that however they, wh- whatever part of these questions they feel more, most drawn to, in participating in that, they'll they'll feel great. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing to do. Whether it's cold water swimming or meditation, or, you know, there's there's an access route for everyone, and not everyone has to do all of them, and not everyone has to do any particular one. Mm-hmm. Um, but We'll, we'll feel this draw and so and I do think it helps to start by taking some time to sit down and, and outline that holistic um, concept of, of values and of who are you, you know, this question it's a, it's a fundamentally important question that we that we don't ask ourselves like, who am I what do I want mm. um, and be that it comes it might it might be that actually you draw blanks in which case great there's opportunities to lean into what you feel right now that you might be drawn to and this is you know i'm part of an amazing men's group here every sunday we gather and that's a big organization now called the mankind project that um holds initiation rites of passage things like that and there's these are all access routes to becoming more able to answer that question of who am i and what is it that i want to do with this life mm. how do i present myself in the world and and you know as the ecological self expands how do i want to be of service to to the wider self yeah and I think you know I mean I've got two children now both are in secondary school and to me I can see sort of some of the funnels in place that probably lend itself more to restrictive thinking particularly in terms of identity because a lot of the time kids are told 
who they are or they're told if you pick this job title that's who you are or that you know mm-hmm. it's this that it's a very kind of here's the information I'm giving it to you system whereas there's not much room for the child to come from the child come from their center come from who they are and communicate and express um in in that way so it's I feel like a lot of the work you're doing through the skills that you have and the knowledge you have this this idea of expansion and it is a shifting of consciousness but it's also a remembering process because I think that we forgot you know and as a parent looking at my children I try I mean I'm not the perfect parent by any means but I'll try and remind them you know of the just the basics and um, I actually had an interesting conversation with Lewis the other week about we're talking about space and UFOs and aliens. I mean, this is my normal world <laughs> anyway. Same, but, same but, in our um, house. <laughs> I was saying to you, we were talking about various different things. And I said, you know, if you, if you, somebody just picked you and took you off planet, you wouldn't survive. And, and, you know, people just take it for granted, don't they? Oh, I'll just, I'll just carry on breathing the air and I'll carry on drinking and I'll carry, but that we can't live without this planet. And, mm. and, and that really kind of, it's it sort of landing in um, landing in a different way after speaking to you this morning and just how vital that is to remember mm. that there is no beginning and end. It's just this continuing loop, this cycle that we're all a part of, which, yeah. you know, would be great if that got more in the educational system to help children really learn in that way. But but also as adults to kind of remember or relearn some of these fundamental basics that we kind of forget through this funneling this process of separation this the economy comes first and the planet comes second way of thinking mm. yeah and i think that 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 is worked upon when we sit down and ask these questions of ourselves is if we took it as a bioregion you know someone within that bioregion will ask that question how do we educate our children and you know you might find that someone who's participated in this expansion of the ecological self is this idea of finding your ecological niche you know how do you fit into that environment and people will begin like, oh, I think we should have rites of passage in school. I think we should take, you know, 15 and 16 year olds on a year long journey into that, exploring who they are and what they want to do with their lives. And straight away, you know, you transform lives. That's someone's niche. Someone's niche is to go and do that in every school. Um, But someone's niche is also to fill all of these other spaces of, of, yeah, our food systems and teaching meditation. there's, there's There's so much space for people to step in, but I think as people explore what draws them, they'll, they'll just naturally start to do these things. Mm-hmm. Can I just ask as well, Ben, if if this continues, if people start to become more conscious of choice, so they start to become more um, connected with nature and their environment and things look like they're heading in the in the right direction in terms of that, what you were talking about, the ecological self. Mm. What sort of changes do you think might come up in the next sort of five years? How, how? I mean, I know I'm asking you an impossible question. Maybe what changes would you like to see happen? In your hopeful, and your active hoping way. way. <laughs> I suppose for me, the, one of the kind of foundational things that I'd like to see change is the realization that um, that value exists beyond money. Yeah. That not be measured financially, and not everything should be measured financially. And even just seeing that, even just noticing that in, in maybe what might to some seem like obvious ways, just noting that, that it's a very useful tool, but it's a tool and we need to figure out how to use it in a certain way. 
Um, that would be one of the biggest shifts I would like to see. And that might just be a matter of, again, just sitting down and thinking about it. What, what is it that I value beyond money? Mm-hmm. Uh, and starting to kind of recognise you know, what tools do we have in the world like money and political systems and all these things that we design, we design in because they're useful. Um, but we need to keep remembering kind of what's, what's their place. So yeah, I think I think I would like to see people ask um, or, or know, you know, for that to be a more common conversation. You know, what is it that you value? What's important to you? Uh, because I think that just as a kind of table conversation encourages people to then work with that thing, you know, work with whatever it is that's valuable to them. And it might be that, you know, as we said before, it's about um, children having the opportunity to express who they really are. And as soon as someone is having that conversation regularly about, oh, that's something that I really value. I really value that that comes about in the world. It's like, there's an invitation. How can you how can you participate in that and turn that into that active hope thing? It's, um, make it happen, you know? And I, I think it's good to do it on a personal level. And that's, I think that's been really profound for me. It's like, yeah, forget about the um, BBC News every day and stuff, you know, it's, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, disconnected from the world. So, no, I'm more connected to the world, having not, not known that with this bad news that I can't do anything about. So it just overwhelms me and tires me out and makes me feel disempowered to make any positive change. But actually, yeah, these, these kind of tapping into your own value systems. I don't know if that answers your question. Maybe I avoided your question. I think that's an amazing <laughs> That's answer. a really good, that's yeah. a really good, yeah. I think there's there's something to be said about the change that we want to see begins within yourself. That sounded a bit profound. <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> Just, somebody must have said that already, but it's that yeah. you starting with yourself, isn't it? And then because if if everybody did that, we would we would look very different, I think. The yeah. world would appear to be Definitely. in a very different way. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. and that you know, that sentence um has more meaning when you consider it as an ecological self, the big self rather than the small self. Because starting with yourself, people will say, ah, this is a selfish person. But selfishness from the ecological sense is generous. You know, it's if I include my whole bioregion in my sense of self, when I'm out defending a river or a woodland or planting wildflower seeds, you know, I'm working on myself. It's part of yeah. So, yeah. That, that's part of that expansion of the ecological self that's very useful in those kinds of scenarios as well. Yeah. I think it's that that's a useful, the, the ecological self is a useful way of remembering that connection to where you are, the, the land that, you know, what's around you locally. Um, I suppose, I, I suppose the other side of it, I know I often find, find myself talking to my clients because sometimes they'll, they will feel it selfish to work on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm working really hard to change that mindset because I'll say it's not selfish. You know, if you're, if anybody is stuck in a pattern of anxiety or depression or, or mental health or any, you know, it, the last thing it is is selfish to try and work through that and get through that. Because I think once we start to become almost like our own ambassadors for what, what we want to experience ourselves, then that's a huge starting yeah. point then to, I think sometimes if you're, you're if you're stuck, you can't always see beyond. And so as soon as you kind of move some of those things that are keeping you stuck, that's when you can start to engage more in the wider world, I think, more in the collective. 
It's like your light as well, isn't it? It's allowing your light to shine um, because, and that's an encompassing thing, isn't it? A bit mm. like the self, you know, yeah. you're allowing your light to shine. You're illuminating what's around you as well, aren't you? I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a, an edgy topic, but you know, the, what, what if depression is nature's way of saying you need to ask questions? Mm. Yeah. Yourself. You know, you, I'm, I'm going to smash you into the ground until you ask deep, profound questions of who you are and how you're going to present yourself in the world. Mm, yeah. I, I, I do believe there's a possibility that some depression is that. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I, I think a lot of depression, I actually shared an article that was written about this, a lot of depression is more circumstantial and environmental than it is individual because yeah. we are connected and, it, and that mm. always gets overlooked, which really frustrates me because you'll go and see somebody about it and it'll, they'll make it all about the individual, mm. you know, and, and in the spirit of today's topic, if you plant a flower in some good soil and you give everything it needs to grow, it's going to grow. If you likewise, if you don't, it's not. So it's, you can't separate mm. the two. They are, they do go hand in hand, you know, so I completely agree with you, Ben. Yeah. 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 For anyone who kind of feels that that um, might be true for them, there's this Jahan Hari, his work speaks to that a lot. He wrote a book called Lost Connections. That he's basically researching the environmental impacts on depression and anxiety. And, you know, you read that book and you realise that's basically what it is. It's not mm-hmm. you know, very rarely something that's, um, you know, a chemical imbalance or something specific to, to that person. Mm. Uh, it's it's environmental and you know environment may also include past trauma and things like that and you know there's spaces that help deal with that as well um but yeah the environment is is us you know it's it's what it's what creates us you know just place that you spoke about earlier yeah um, got to create a nourishing environment but we can do that we can be part of creating that nourishing environment for others around us just by how we present in the world even just how we order a cup of coffee you know we can do that in a multitude of ways we can do it in a way that makes the person on the other side feel feel more empowered or we can do it in a way that makes them feel small yeah yeah really small not something to push aside just how do we present ourselves in the world in a way that is about expansion Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well, um, we could probably go on for another hour, Ben, but <laughs> we better wrap things up. But I just wanted to let listeners know that in the bio, um, I'll include um, a link to Ben's work, to Ben's website and any of the references that we may have made, yeah. books and such forth. I'll pop all that in as well. But thank you so much for talking to us. And, and hopefully the people listening will have learned a lot. Yeah, and, that was amazing. Yeah, really, really fantastic. understood a lot more about getting in those keywords, exploring those a little bit. So thank you, Ben. Thanks, Ben. (laughs) 